This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 26, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. The war on terror is a sticky term, but not just because it evokes thoughts of a serious effort, but also because it implies certain tools, like the military. But the uses of the military in fighting terrorism are few. We need to be careful in applying the war metaphor to an effort that will likely go on and on. So says Chris Preble, Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and editor of the new Cato book, Terrorizing Ourselves. Our primary concern in dealing with terrorism as people who live in the United States is the fact that we live here, and that tends to limit the ability of using the U.S. military to fight terrorism, doesn't it? Well, if you think of terrorism as a as a domestic security problem, as a homeland security problem, then yeah, there are, there are even some pretty good laws that inhibit the ability of the military to uh, to deal with terrorism here in in the United States on our own shores. Of course, that's not how we think about fighting terrorism. We think about fighting in a proactive way overseas, far away from where, um, uh, far away from our shores, several you know degrees of separation away. Um, and, you know, we've seen some successes and some failures over the last uh, nine or ten years, since 9-11. Um, I think most people look at the initial intervention in Afghanistan as being a appropriate use of force. We did much of what we set out to do. We disrupted the al-Qaeda training camps. We drove the Taliban from power. We sent a message to everybody else. This is a bad thing. Don't do it again. That's good. But then we had the experience in the Iraq War, which was sold as part of the war on terror, so-called. I think since then, people have looked on the Iraq experience that, gee, that didn't make us safer from terrorism. It didn't uh, didn't reduce the threat. If anything, it exacerbated the threat. And now we're starting to hear similar complaints with respect to Afghanistan. Um, but I do think it's a mistake to use those two very high-profile cases to define the role of the military in counterterrorism. There have been, again, a number of successes over the last uh, few years that have been uh, scored by the uses of the drones and other uh, unmanned vehicles to deal with, with terrorist strikes. But, of course, many of, those, it's, uh, many of those successes depend upon intelligence on the ground, intelligence that is not necessarily gathered by military people. It comes from our partners on the ground. It comes from non-military person, U.S. civilian uh, personnel, um, even some non-governmental personnel. And I think when you think also about, you know, what are you trying to accomplish when you remove a terrorist uh, uh, or a potential terrorist from the battlefield, so to speak, um, if you kill that person, you don't acquire a lot of good information from him necessarily. You know, thankfully, a few times we've, we've found some, you know, laptops and whatnot in the places where they were killed, which has given us some good information. But you also think you're going to derive some information through interrogation, things like that. That's an argument for taking them alive, which, again, isn't something that is particularly conducive to from 30,000 feet. Um, another thing that you when you look at the way different terrorist organizations over the years, not just the kinds that we think about today, but any transnational group that's engaged in terrorism, how have they come to an end? This is one of the other key themes in the book that Audrey Kurth Cronin talks about is what are the different ways in which they, they lose their appeal, they lose their power, and eventually kind of wither away and die? Some of them involve, uh, if they are organized around a very, very uh, high-profile or um, uh, charismatic leader, removing that leader, either killing them or removing them from the battlefield, throwing them in prison, can sometimes have an important effect. 
Other times, however, if you uh, attempt a decapitation strike, sometimes you're going to remove someone from the battlefield and he or she will be replaced by someone who's even more charismatic and capable. Um, so you kind of have to take that in consideration. Um, the simple fact is, it's one of the key themes that we deal with this in the book in a number of different chapters, not just in, my, in mine, um, is that many terrorist organizations, because they harm the people that they are trying to appeal to, they have, they have within them the kind of seeds of their own demise. And you have to let them, uh, uh, to a certain extent, fall in on their own uh, uh, weaknesses. Um, they depend upon, they rely to a certain extent on the U.S. Uh, or they depend upon their target responding in a way that gives them additional strength. And it's very hard. Uh, it's a practical matter to kind of show some restraint and kind of think through deal ways for dealing with these organizations and not retaliating and responding in a, in a military way. But a lot of times, in fact, the, the harm that is done in response is greater than the harm that they can do to us themselves. And I think that's one of the key themes we try to develop in this book. Well, then it's appropriate to ask if the, the difference of language when talking about the war on terrorism versus good old-fashioned declared war. I mean, is that is that what we're talking about? <laughs> that kind of rhetorical difference, or so part? It's is it really a war, or is it the metaphorical kind of war where we've declared war on drugs, or war on inflation, or things like that, war on poverty, um, or is it an actual war war where you're, you know, well, I think again, you fight war, you declare wars against. Uh, enemies, not tactics, okay? And so that's a, a big problem of declaring a war on terrorism. Um, but I also think that framing in that way as, as a war implies that the military instrument is the most important one, as I've already explained, the military instrument is not necessarily the most important one. It can be useful in certain circumstances, but there are other tools that are also useful. Gil Kurlikowski is President Obama's drug czar, okay. and when President Obama entered office, they pretty much dropped the metaphor almost entirely, signaling perhaps a shift away from the war metaphor on drugs. Right. And during the campaign, President Obama did try to de-emphasize this war on terrorism as a uh, rhetorical uh, tactic. Right, frame, frame of reference, whatever. What is the value of that? Well, I think the, the best criticism of referring to a war on terrorism is that you don't declare a war on a tactic, you declare war on an adversary and an enemy. Um, immediately after 9-11, uh, President Bush said that it, the war on terrorism begins with al-Qaeda, but it doesn't end there. It deals with all, tran all transnational organizations that employ terrorism to advance their ends. It seems to me to be an extraordinarily broad mandate. And in practical terms, the United States never really did that. There were some organizations that continued to use terror that we did not find particularly objectionable because we liked the use of that technique against people we don't particularly like. So again, there really is a focus on the people, the perpetrators, not the tactic employed. But I think at a more basic level, Framing the fight against organizations like al-Qaeda as a war implies that the military instrument is the most important, the most relevant, and as I've tried to show, in many instances that's not the case. Not in all instances, but in many instances that's not the case. So do you really think about um, the way in which the U.S. government and cooperation with a lot of private actors, banks, and other in and institutions around the world has really clamped down on terrorist financing. Is that an instrument of warfare? 
No, not really. Um, is the way in which the United States has cooperated with other law enforcement and intelligence officials around the world and apprehended uh, different groups, is that consistent with warfare? No, not necessarily. Is informa- even just the most basic information sharing or the kinds of things that we've done to, to strengthen um, border controls or to expand uh, how we screen different cargo, is that uh, and are those instruments of warfare? It seems to me not. Uh, and I think that a lot of the very kind of you know prudent steps that have taken along that have been taken along the way um, are imply as uh, the, as President Bush said at the very outset that in fact the war on Al Qaeda would involve many many in, in different instruments of power. Unfortunately, this discussion has become very politicized, and I think um, that even the Bush administration attempted uh, several different times to back away from the war on terror frame, and it just didn't take. Um, because President Obama came in very deliberately not using it, he was actually called to task um, a few times for kind of trying to come up with an alternative frame and was seen as, oh, this is obviously a case of him backing away uh, from the previous administration. Again, in practical terms, a lot of the things the Obama administration has done are actually consistent with the Bush administration would be one of my key critiques of the Obama administration's conduct so far. But, you know, I think that it's interesting and important that most Americans have kind of have kind of moved back from the war on terror frame. Maybe they don't use it anymore. Maybe they don't think it's quite as useful. Um, and I think that that's another thing that we emphasize in this book is that thinking about terrorism as a problem, as, an, as a serious problem, but one that is manageable, um, is better than thinking about trying to eradicate all, uh, all organizations or, or people around the world that would wish to use terrorism to advance their ends. I think that's unrealistic. It was never realistic. And I think we've made a, a, a few steps in the right direction since, uh, since the low point. Chris Preble is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and editor of the new Cato book, Terrorizing Ourselves, available at cato.org.